Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. How's everyone doing? Right, I'm looking for maximum crowd engagement tonight. So how's everyone doing? Yeah, that's great. First of all, thanks to uh, Sue and Theo for letting me do this. It's crazy. So appreciate that. I don't, I don't know. Hopefully this doesn't suck and I can come back another time. So honestly, it's my first one. So we'll just see where we're going. Um, we've got a lot to get through. Also, Barson's given me the strict 30 minutes. So we've got a lot to get through. So let's get cracking. So um, Gospel of John we're looking at um, and we base a series off uh, this book broken signposts um, and T. Wright. And he's got these seven uh, different concepts, uh, paradigms of life uh, that he looks at. And um, he says that instead of life just being like, doesn't make, not making any sense, he says that these seven concepts are actually like broken aspects of what the Christian life um, should look like, look like. And that Jesus is um, the common denominator that all these aspects uh, point to. And so uh, one of these uh, things is power. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And I was at the 10 a.m. service today listening to Paul talk about this, and he was talking about Queen Elizabeth. And I feel like so often we think of power and we think of like big positional leaders. But what I want to say tonight is that power is actually a really um, active thing in our life. So power is a daily battle that we all have. And it all started in Genesis. So Genesis 1. Um, Verse 27, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we actually possess an intrinsic desire for power. God designed us for power. Since the very first moment uh, of creation, we were made uh, in his image. And God is power. God, like that by definition, he's like the ultimate divinity of the universe. Um, and so we share in that those attributes of God being our ultimate power. Um, and we crave that. So power is not just this positional thing, but it's actually something that we uh, crave on a daily basis. C.S. Lewis says this, God made us, invented us as a man, invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol. It will not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. Looking at that Genesis passage where you were tasked to be fruitful, increase in number, rule over the earth, we were asked to rule over all existence, and that was the first sort of task that uh, God gave to us. And so there's two sort of like manifestations that I see that come out of this, and it's one, we need to experience the transforming power of God. That's the first thing we need to do in everyday life. And two, we actually have this natural desire to subdue and rule over the earth. In the New Testament, there's this distinction in the in the words that are used um, between power and authority. And so power, like, do you, what's the, is it Oxford, the English teacher? What, the dictionary? Who ma- wrote it? Yeah, but what's that place? Is that the one? Oh, yeah. Right. So if you look in the Oxford dictionary, um, if that's your desired one, I 
There's, there's a range of dictionaries you can use, but we'll use Oxford. <laughs> um, power is the ability um, or capacity to do something. So power is the ability, but it, when you look at authority, authority is the right to do that. So like I have the power to drive my car. Also, there's a couple of, I was going to, yeah, let me just, I have the power to drive my car, but until I get my license, I don't have the authority to do that. So God, by definition, has inherent power. So he has the ability to do everything because he's God. In Luke 10, 19, uh, Jesus says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And so God gives us his authority to actually use his power. God's the source of the power, not us. But he gives us his authority, a God-given right, if you like, uh, to exercise and share in his inherent power. And um, just a little side note, in verse 20 it says, All the same, the great triumph is not in your authority over evil, but in God's authority over you and presence within you. Not what you do for God, but what God does for you. That's the agenda for rejoicing. And if you want a little bit of context, the uh, disciples have just come back from doing what disciples do, um, healing people and whatnot. And Jesus basically says, you know, don't be happy because of what you've done, but actually because of the authority that you've used to do what you've done. So if God doesn't change and if his power doesn't change, then... It must be us. That's the problem. Bad news. It all comes down to free will. So in having free will, um, we actually have the ability to uh, misuse our God-given authority and our right to use uh, his power. And when we've misused that, what happens is we create our own idea of what true power actually looks like. C.S. Lewis says this, If a thing is free to be good, it's free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, it's only, is the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, of creatures that worked like machines, would hardly be worth creating. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight. We needed free will. There was no way to get around it. If we wanted to be, if God wanted us to be in deep, loving relationships with Him, the free will needed to be there. And so that opens up that's a lot of trust in us. And um, we stuffed it up straight away within about ten minutes. That's how bad. Because as soon as we did that, as soon as we, uh, you know, we ate that apple, we introduced this second power. We introduced Satan, and um, Satan's not like it's not. It's not Satan's not an independent. Power. Is, any, is there any Star Wars fans in the room? Okay, I'm, I wouldn't have put my hand up, but... <laughs> great, so we got a, f- a couple. Um, great, so Star Wars is like the light and the dark. And so Star Wars, you have their equal, their equals powers, but in, in the world, that's not a thing. Evils come out of good. So good was there first, evil comes out of good. Okay, that's why John 1, 5 says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it because the light always, or the good power, always triumphs over the evil one. And so we were disobedient in our free will. In comes second uh, new power, and now the world's split into uh, powers, two kingdoms, if you like. Um, they're in a civil war with each other, and we actually have to choose which power we're going to submit to and which kingdom we're going to live in uh, daily. By design, as we said, we, we need to be in... Yeah, like experience this transforming power of God. Um, but this bad bad power, now that we've introduced it, it brings forward this false idea of what uh, true power looks like. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And so 
we actually have a deep longing to experience power and be in great unity with our creator, but we often uh, will be pretty much always accept and follow this false idea of what true power looks like when we try to uh, fulfill these desires. So what does it look like practically? That's a great question. Our longing uh, to experience this power, is, as N.T. Wright says, a broken signpost to um, the connection with our creator that was originally intended. And so we've accepted this new model of power and our understanding of true power is not great. So what does that warping look like? Well, let's have a look at John 3. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God weren't in on it. And Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me, unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. In verse 9 he goes on, Nicodemus asks, what do you mean by this? How does this happen? Jesus said, You're a respected teacher of Israel, and you don't know these basics. Listen carefully, I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I've seen with my own eyes. There is nothing second-hand here, no hearsay. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. If I tell you these things that are plain as the hand before your face, and you don't believe me, what use is there in telling you things you can't say, things of God, I really need some water. So there's three things I want to pull apart from this. And number one is position. So these are three things that we uh, attribute to as being power in the world because we're living under uh, the bad power. So number one is position. We continually seek position in everything we do. Uh, We have a tendency to acquire social power. We have this innate pride and we think we're better than everyone. Who's walked in here today and and seen the first person they, you know, met at the door, who thought they were better than them? Let's be honest. So everyone's an expert. I should just go home. Okay, so I don't want to expose anyone, but we all think we're better than everyone. We have this innate pride. It's human nature. And it's okay. You don't have to take that personally. We all do it. We strive for position, and that can often lead to selfishness. Um, How often do we see politicians in the spotlight doing corrupt things? It's not that politicians are worse than us. It's that the spotlight's on them. And we're, we're not better people than politicians we just aren't getting exposed in the media for what we do position looks like an overfocus on accomplishments attaining wealth and prosperity like i think this looks good on me does it <laughs> great well i only wore this like i didn't think this when i was wearing it but i only wore this to look better than everyone here <laughs> that makes sense no it's, it's, it's i didn't think that but in our in a pride right I'm not lying here. <laughs> in our innate pride, we, um, we think that we're better than everyone. And so this is exactly what Nicodemus did. So if you want some context, this guy's a Pharisee. Um, and the Pharisees were a group of Jewish leaders um, of the highest order. They loved the rules, man. They loved them. Um, they they just strict observers of the Jewish rules. And they thought they were great because of that. Fun fact, the word Pharisee literally means the separate ones. And they came up with their own name, I guess. So, Nicodemus would have wielded uh, a lot of religious and social and political power. But the first thing to look at in this passage is Jesus. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. So a public meeting with Jesus would have put his, it would have jeopardized his position and power in society. Then he actually sees Jesus, especially says, 
no one could do all the God pointing, God revealing acts you do if God weren't in on it. He sees that Jesus is special, but he comes to him at night because his want of position was too great and he didn't want to risk losing that power. And often we're like Nicodemus. We want God, but we want the world's power as well. Uh, number two is control. Uh, we have a desire for control, which is a kind of a broken signpost of our nature um, to subdue the earth. And wanting control leads to agitation. Um, I know all about it. I booked, uh, we booked flights to Japan the other day. Now, they, the boys told me that we should have booked these flights ages ago. And I was like, no, we're not booking the flights because, like, sure, long story short, the borders weren't opened. I was like, we're not booking the flights until the borders are open. We don't want to lose money. I took control of the situation, which was rational in my view. I was like, we're not opening because what if we lose all our money? Took control of the situation. Borders opened on Friday. It was panic street to, to book those flights. We got them. We all lost 300 bucks each because we waited. So taking control doesn't work, let me tell you. I took control of the flights. I thought it was the right thing to do. We lost 300 bucks each. They aren't happy. And uh, Jesus, he... he Took in, oh, the, the Pharisees tried to take control of Jesus. He agitated the Pharisees. So if the Jews listened to Jesus, if the, if the people of the day listened to Jesus, the, the Pharisees would lose their power because who would care about the Pharisees if you're listening to Jesus? And he was a, he wasn't, if he wasn't a threat to their power, like his, his teachings would have been absurd, if we're being honest. Like He said some crazy things, some, some world-changing things. And if his teachings weren't a threat to the Pharisees' power... It would have been all good, but they were. So the Pharisees tried to take control of him. They tried to restrict his movement. They asked him trick questions, tried to make him say certain things, uh, and, tr- and then tried to arrest him and got him killed eventually. But if Jesus wasn't a threat to power, Nicodemus would have never taken an interest in him at all. He would have just been absurd. Number three uh, is knowledge. Uh, a desire for understanding and wisdom to make sense of our world. We, we, try, and think, we try and work it out us, ourselves. Um, we, be, we believe gaining knowledge and learning and learning and learning is the solution um, to what's the solution to some things as the teachers in the room will say, but it's not the ultimate solution to fulfilling the desires of our heart. Uh, it distracts from, uh, knowledge distracts from spirituality. So the Pharisees, uh, Nicodemus was a member of the, of the Pharisees and he was super highly trained. So he's like the best of the best of the best. And He's so highly trained that he got caught up in all this knowledge and he didn't forgot, like he didn't even understand what Jesus was saying. He was saying the most simple things, you know. Someone's going to be born from above. It's not possible to say what I'm pointing to. Nicodemus is like, what? Like, what do you mean by this? He didn't know because he was so caught up in power um, and knowledge. So there's the three things that we kind of see as power. I'm sure we can all, uh, we've all experienced that. Um, position, control and knowledge. Those things are things we think, oh, a powerful person has a lot of position, control, and knowledge. Now, that's wrong. So that's, a, that's, that's the wrong perspective um, we've got. And that's because of we've introduced this bad power, and we're now listening to that. We're searching for power in the wrong places, and so we don't find it. It's like I've started wearing glasses this year, and there's times where I'd put them on my head, and I'm like, where are the glasses? Like, I can't find my glasses. And I'm looking everywhere, and then it's like they're on my head. So it's like... Jesus is right in front of us, but we're looking for him everywhere, and he's literally like waving at us. So I want to look at the, the other side of that. So what does power look like um, in the kingdom of heaven? And we're going to go to John 13, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It says, Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet. Jesus answered, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, you're not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, not only my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. So, there's another three things three things I want to pull apart. The number one, servanthood. Heavenly power is rooted in servanthood. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He demonstrates love and humility and, and servanthood. He shows that living in the kingdom of light is not actually about acquiring position. It's about and not, not about superiority over others, but it's actually about serving others. It's not about ourselves and increasing our position in society, but it's for the benefit of others. Um, so we've got to reject our nature to be proud, looking outside ourselves and seeking the value of, of others. And so this contradicts um, what the world says because the world's under the rule of the bad power. And so in reality, the, the true power, the good power of God is what we inherently desire and it results, when you're living in that power, it results in a desire to serve others. Two is surrender. To experience the power of God, we need to learn to surrender. We must gotta, we've got to let go of control over our lives, let go of our anxieties and so that the transforming power of God can work through us. When we are designed to experience God's power, surrendering our earthly agendas, giving up control of what we value from a human perspective allows the power of God to renew our idea of what true power looks like. Kingdom people aren't concerned with what their problems are on the earth because they, not that they don't care, but it's not their focus. They're focused on God and their problems are going to be solved out of that. Their perspective is renewed because they trust in God so much. Peter declares um, in his thing here, he, uh, he says, you're not going to wash my feet ever. And maybe he doesn't want to look proud, which is why he makes this massive statement. Um, he tries to take control of the situation, but as soon as Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you can't be a part of what I'm doing, he just he forgets what he said, basically. He gives up the whole thing. You're not going to wash me. He's like, no, come wash my whole body, do everything. He invites Jesus to do whatever he pleases. So we need surrender. Number three is spirituality, which is actually uh, another one of N.T. Wright's concepts. We need active unified relationship with god instead of accumulation of knowledge <coughs> we need to be fully merged uh, with god we desire the power of god to fill, fulfill this craving we actually need to be in deep spiritual relationships with him the passage says jesus knew the father had put him in complete charge of everything that he came from god and was on his way back to god jesus was in complete unison with god he knew he was so in tune with god he was fully aware uh, of the power that he shared, that he was made in God's image. He was fully aware of that, and we need to become aware of that as well. He was in a divine relationship with God, as we are designed to be. And because of this, he responded with service. It says yeah, in verse 3 there, it's, he's in complete in charge. We, show, we see that he's in total unity with God. And the next thing he does, he responds with service. John 15.5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When we're in relationship with Jesus, we respond with love and a servant heart, and we live out of God's power. Right, so how do we get there? How do we move out of living in the kingdom of darkness and into the light? Well, good for us that we don't actually need to express those first three concepts, position, uh, control, knowledge. We don't need to be fully in, uh, uh, um, 
No, we need to get rid of those. We don't need to be fully servanted, fully surrendered, and fully spiritual. We don't need to be that because if we were, we'd be perfect and there wouldn't be a problem, right? But we're not. We're all, we all fall short uh, of God's glory and we've misused our authority for our own agendas. I feel like it's not that we were trying to do bad things, but we were trying to fulfill those desires of our hearts in the way that that wasn't God. We were looking for it elsewhere. We didn't start being evil. We started looking for power somewhere else that wasn't God and that made evil. But God's love for us is so great. And though even though we disobeyed him and we made another power, he makes a way for us to come back and live in his kingdom. Uh, John 3.16 uh, says, this is, so, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind son of God when introduced to him. See, the key to living in the kingdom of God and utilising your God-given authority in a way that's in right relationship with God and the key to experiencing the overwhelming love that we actually desire and the key to having loving control over this, uh, of this world is to believe in and follow Jesus, forgetting the things uh, in the world that we hold on to because that Jesus is the key that allows us to live in this bad world under a good power because this world's ruled by the bad power. Matthew 16 uh, says, Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. He went to work. Anyone who attends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. Whatever kind of, what kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? When Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again, he atoned for everything you ever did and all the times we misused our authority, searching for a power that, in a place that wasn't Jesus. And when Jesus was resurrected, he defeated that bad power and he made that path available for us to live in this bad world under the rule of that good power. And so when we believe in him, we're filled with his Holy Spirit and that works through us and transforms us um, to be more like we originally were intended to be. Galatians uh, 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our search for power in the world is a broken signpost of the unity um, with God we were originally designed for. And the power and dominion we long for isn't found in worldly advantage. It's not found in having a position in life, having control over your situations, it's not found in any of that. It's found when we believe in and follow Jesus. And we actually have the opportunity to do that today. We have the opportunity to do it every morning. So if I could ask the band to come back up, we'll wrap this up. Um, what we're going to do now is uh, take communion. And communion's a time uh, for fellowship with God, and we recognise the importance of Jesus' death. And we've just expressed the importance of that. We actually get to live uh, in this bad world under a good power. And we recognise that what uh, Jesus did because of what he did we can share an experience in that power and we can actually, like we were intended to, be in total unity with God and experience that power and we get to be filled with his Holy Spirit and we get to inherit the kingdom of God. So that's all I want to say really. So 
come get some communion. Um, and as you take those elements, just reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you. Um, and yeah, the opportunity that you now have to live in a perfect unity with him because he loves you so much. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.